0: Heritage Explains listeners, I wanted to let you know about an exciting platform available from the Heritage Foundation. Now, we still can't host events in person right now, but Heritage Events Live hosts webinars almost every day on a variety of topics, ranging from why it's a bad idea for the U.S. government to bail out states after COVID 19 to combating the rise of socialism around the U.S. These webinars are free. And you can find out more by going to heritage.org slash events or by checking the show notes. If you can't catch them live, no worries. You can always watch past events on demand. Stay informed and stay connected to Heritage. Log on today. From my mom's closet in Metro Detroit, Michigan, I'm Tim Desher. And this is Heritage Explains. On any given day, what's the news we typically see and hear about China? U.S.
1: President Donald Trump has threatened to up the ante on a bruising trade war with China. He's reiterated a warning that he could impose further tariffs on Chinese goods worth hundreds of billions of dollars.
0: China raided our factories, offshored our jobs, gutted our industries, stole our intellectual property, and violated their commitments under the World Trade Organization. To make matters worse, they are considered a developing nation, getting all sorts of benefits that others, including the United States, are not entitled to.
1: So happening in just the past few minutes, China's national parliament has approved a controversial national security law for Hong Kong, which criminalizes acts of sedition and terrorism. Now this coming as the National People's Congress meets in Beijing, the legislation has faced sharp criticism from governments all around the world. Right, we continue our look this morning at what China does not want you to see. The United States says the superpower is reclaiming land in the South China Sea. Artificial islands under construction could become military bases
0: okay we've heard all those stories before but here's one that may be new to you have you heard of the chinese belt and road initiative according to a heritage report by jeff smith here's what it is in a nutshell in 2013 China made a big public announcement that they intend to spend or invest over $1 trillion on new infrastructure like roads, railways, bridges, and other connectivity investments across the Indo-Pacific and Eurasian supercontinent. But why? For China, it provides an incredible economic foothold in the region and also greater energy security, counterterrorism, It boosts Chinese exports and popularizes Chinese currency. So this is a big initiative happening right in the public eye. But what else is China doing behind the scenes? Let's look at Africa.
1: Some of these African governments are now beginning to realize that they are in a
0: stranglehold.
1: And they may have, as I said, understood some of the risks... But now they they are looking around for ways to escape the stranglehold uh, or to diversify away from the Chinese because they they have
0: started to become more aware um, of of some of these problems. Our guest this week is Josh Miservi, a senior policy analyst for Africa and the Middle East here at the Heritage Foundation. In a recent hard-hitting report, he found that a similar two-decade-long blitz of development in Africa proves that not only roads, bridges, and trains are being built by the Chinese, but he also uncovered 186 highly secure government buildings, as well as computers and networks, have been built by the Chinese as well. On this episode, he talks about how intertwined China is on the African continent and how that is likely facilitating Chinese spying. He also explains China's goal in making these investments and what it means for American competitiveness as well as our national security. Josh, it's been way too long since the last time we talked, so thank you so much for being back on Heritage Explains. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoy it. All right. So first off, I just I want to gain a bit of context Um, from the intro of this episode. You know, we know that China has been involved with building infrastructure in Africa for a long time. Um, They now call it the Belt and Road Initiative. But this has been going on before that was started, and it's way more than roads and trains now. So give me just a little bit of context of of, of where we're starting here. You know, when did it start, and what's the goal for the Chinese?
1: Yeah, sure. So you're absolutely right. Uh, this is a long-running uh, campaign by the Chinese government. This actually started back... Uh, at the time of Mao, at the time of of Chinese independence, where he was very interested in positioning China as the leader of the global communist movement, the global communist revolution, uh, particularly among developing countries. So uh, he he began the Chinese focus on Africa, which has waxed and waned over the years, uh, according to sort of the geopolitical context, but, uh, we're certainly, you know, in a waxing period right now. Uh, and so infrastructure, um, all sorts of diplomatic engagement, loans, things of that nature, uh, but really, uh, or was all a part of this. And then as you say, they, the Chinese government announced this belt and road initiative recently, and they began to lump a lot of infrastructure projects underneath that umbrella that were already existing. Uh, so, it's a pretty broad range of, of projects that fall under this umbrella. Africa, again, is a major part of this uh, this One Belt One Road or Belt and Road initiative, um, and has been for uh, ever since its inception, and even long before that.
0: Okay, so so let me just go from from there to here. So, who approaches who? Is it is is it a country in Africa goes to the Chinese saying, "Hey, we really need." this building, or, hey, we really need uh, this road, and then the Chinese goes through it? Is it like a grant process, or does the Chinese approach uh, the countries? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so um, I think it, it happens in both ways, and I say I think because part of the challenge of analyzing Belt and Road Initiative and Chinese engagement in Africa in general and around the world is that Beijing takes great pains to shroud it in as much um, secrecy as possible. So we are not even sure the terms of contracts that get signed, mostly. Sometimes, uh, occasionally, we'll get a glimpse for whatever reason. But usually, we're not aware of the exact terms of, of lending contracts, um, of, of contracts governing these infrastructure projects. So it appears that absolutely uh, many African countries do approach Beijing and say, hey, you know, we'd like this road or we'd like this building. Um, But I also think it is clear that Beijing sometimes approaches African countries and makes an offer of, uh, hey, let us build this for you or that for you. Uh, And and some of this is predicated on what sort of um, financing model for these uh, projects are, are extant or, or relevant, I should say. Um... So that can run the range from commercial style um, contracts where it's a pretty high interest rate all the way to zero interest rates or even to just grants that the Chinese government will will lend. So I think particularly for the grants, um, that can be when Beijing offers, uh, makes an offer and says, hey, let us build this for you.
0: OK, so um, we've got buildings and computers. Your report right now is talking about how <laughs> China is building very, very high security level buildings in African nations. And we're not talking about, you know, um, some just random building that's getting no use. We're talking about the highest of high. So there is definitely some things. They're also um, giving computers. They're also giving, you know, networking. They're also doing all sorts of things like that that's going to help, uh, I, as you say, you know, um, increase China's intelligence in Africa, So my first question is, is do these countries know what they're getting into when they let this happen? Yeah.
1: uh, So that's a fascinating question, and uh, I I speculate in the report, and it is speculation because it's hard to know for certain uh, without an Afghan ruler telling you explicitly, (laughs) which is (laughs) very very unlikely to happen. let us say. So yeah, so uh, the report found 186 of these buildings that Chinese companies have built on the continent. And as you say, they these are very, for the most part, these are very high-level buildings. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I found 24 presidents or prime ministers, residences or offices. Uh, there are parliaments uh, uh, that I found, military and police installations, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So again, very senior um, level buildings here and I think that um, I think by and large again speculating Afghan leaders are aware of some of the downside risks that come with accepting this sort of Chinese gift uh, and Chinese engagement more generally <clears throat> I do think that many did not understand the full extent of the risks it's uh you know Chinese watching Chinese, Engagement is fascinating. Again, I study it in the Afton context. Uh it's a bit like uh like a BOA constrictor, hmm. where uh it can be uh fairly subtle, the the bands are tightening, and uh it suddenly becomes a stranglehold before you're actually aware that it has become a stranglehold. Uh and I think that as I say, some of these African governments are now beginning to realize that they are in a stranglehold and they may have, as I said, understood some of the risks. um, But now they, they are looking around for ways to escape the stranglehold uh, or to diversify away from the Chinese because they, they have started to become more aware um, of, of some of these problems. I think, uh, some may have been aware and didn't care to just put it very bluntly uh, the the relationship with china is so important for many of these afghan countries that they are not going to risk it for virtually anything but in, they're also they're but including you know expressing they're not they're not going to risk this relationship by expressing doubts or suspicions about some of these these Gifts that that China is giving them, and then we should also bear in mind, as I make clear in the report, that some African leaders benefit personally from engaging with
0: China. And you talk in the report quite a bit about China using this as a way of edging out American companies and American business um, from investing in Africa. How can you just can you connect the dots there for me?
1: Yeah, sure. So. Um, One of the the problems for the United States of China building all this influence on the continent is that they are establishing economic norms on the continent that disadvantage American companies, and not just American, others as well, but we're talking about the U.S. here. Um, And by that, I mean, they are, uh, I already referenced corruption, right? So Chinese companies are happy to engage in this. They engage with uh, they engage in it almost as a as a standard operating procedure. U.S. companies can't do that. We have the foreign, cr- nor should they. We have the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which means you may well end up in jail or hit with a very heavy fine if you're an American company that gets caught offering a bribe um, to an African leader, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, corruption is a competitive uh, Chinese competitive advantage, and. Um, that really puts American companies in a hole when they are trying to compete for economic opportunities, of which there are many on the continent. So you have those those norms that I referenced that are being established that disadvantage American companies, and then specific to this report, one of the problems of Chinese um, uh, of Beijing having access to these. Government buildings that they've built is that they can eavesdrop on American companies that are discussing in these buildings with their Afghan uh, with Afghan leadership about bids they might be making, business processes, all sorts of, of uh, uh, information they're they're passing to Afghan leaders that would give Chinese companies a real advantage if they knew. And so, so Beijing, you're saying, so- of course, has so- many state-owned companies.
0: So So just hypothetically there, I just I, I just because again, I want to connect the dots here. Hypothetically, sure. you're saying that they could spy on a potential deal from a U.S company, they could hear all the terms of the agreement and then come in and undercut us because they know um, because they've been privy to that information, given that infrastructure that they built for China uh, to, to spy on and listen to our conversations. I mean, that could be a that, that's what you mean, basically. Absolutely. Yes, okay. precisely. Wow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you think about it, that'd be a huge advantage, right? If you're if you're a Chinese company and you know what your competitors are going to or at least some of them are going to bid, for instance, mm-hmm. or you know to which minister they're talking or you know, that's all really valuable information.
0: But you said that um, some of these leaders might not care about the strong foothold that China is gaining in the area because they're getting a clear, tangible benefit from it. How do we, and, and you talk about this in the report so we can work our way into it, how do we as Americans communicate that this is a bad thing for you, even though you're getting what you think is a good result and a good outcome? But this is really bad and you shouldn't do that. How do we uh, approach that? Yeah, it's tricky because no one likes to be lectured
1: to, that's for sure. And there's a lot of understandable sensitivity on the continent, um, uh, particularly about being lectured to by Western countries and they, uh, including former colonial powers, the U.S. is not a former colonial power in Africa, but we do get lumped in a bit uh, with with those countries. So you have to approach it delicately, of course. Uh, I, I don't think that presenting some sort of stark choice, you know, it's, it's us or it's China is the way to go. That's because, honestly, a lot of them would say, well, OK, we're going with China. Um, and that's you know they they are trying to walk a tightrope here between two great powers one superpower and one aspiring superpower right. and they don't want to get caught in the middle so i understand that and have sympathy for that and we also should be realistic about the fact that china does provide some of these african countries things that they want and need they provide cheap technology for instance now there's a whole host of problems with that that we can get into right. but they, they do provide it and that's great for African consumers and uh, they do provide a lot of this infrastructure and China and Africa, excuse me, does need um, a lot of infrastructure. So I think, um, you know, we need to approach this as concerned friends and we need to say, hey you know you go ahead and engage with with Beijing we're not here to tell you not to what we are here to do is try to help you get the best possible deal you can from Beijing and to protect you from some of these risks
0: what what can the U.S. do to sort of take back some of this is just just doing business with the USA enough or do we need to do anything more yeah
1: it's it's a pretty grim picture as i laid out in the report and actually you know, this report was very focused on the the buildings itself, uh, themselves. And so it, it wasn't really even a comprehensive look at all of the vectors for Chinese surveillance, uh, on the continent. There are others they've, they're unrolling their, un, or they've, they've already unrolled their safe city technology in, in a number of cities on the continent. And again, we've already talked about Huawei and, uh, computers donating and all that, or donated computers and all that. So, um, so this is not even a comprehensive take on <clears throat> all of the the risks, you know, for for Chinese surveillance on the continent. Uh, in I actually introduce um, the report that by saying that Beijing may have better surveillance access to Africa than anywhere else in the world for all of these reasons. Um, so it's it's and then I also I, I try to be realistic here in the report because. Uh, the, there's, they have, you know, Beijing has built up such an advantage in this area that there's not much we can do to complete, or there's nothing we can do, frankly, in the near term to completely uproot their, their ability to, to spy this. That's just, that's a, that's a fantasy to think we can do that. Um, that will require a much longer term, larger strategy that, that brings to bear all the elements of, of US government power. Um And again, China will be in Africa for the foreseeable future. That's just for a whole host of reasons. Uh, So I I think, you know, the U.S. needs to um, bring all the elements of, of national power to bear on this. And... That doesn't mean we start ordering our companies around because we can't do that, thank goodness, Um, nor should we, obviously. Um, But it does mean incentivizing them and and trying to motivate them to to be involved on the continent uh, and doing what we can to facilitate that. Uh, It does mean telling our story in Africa. This is a great point of frustration for me. The U.S. has done a lot for that continent. We've had great relationships for, for decades and it tends to get lost. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a what have you done for me lately mentality um, that we need to, to fight and just remind um, our, our African friends and others, the world in general that the U S has been a staunch uh, friend to Africa for decades. Now, our record isn't perfect. That's not what I'm right. suggesting, but, uh, by and large, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've done a lot of good there. So, uh, you know, and just unapologetically proclaim the virtues of democracy and of, of the free market system, because there is a battle of ideas going on, um, uh, most notably, the, the ones we're opposed to are led by Beijing, they are absolutely trying to convince African governments that their model is the best one for developing countries to adopt. And by their model, I mean this centralized, authoritarian, um, mm-hmm. frankly, quite brutal uh, system of political control, coupled with a little bit of economic freedom, but still sort of centrally managed um, economies.
0: Josh, government buildings in Africa are a likely vector for Chinese spying. That's the name of the report. It's going to be linked in the show notes. I hope you log on and check it out. It, 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 I tried to get cheerful out of you, Josh, but but, <laughs> Sorry. I did the best that I could. But uh, yeah. we really do appreciate you being here uh, with us this week. And thank you for all the information. Thanks, Tim. It was great. Uh, appreciate your interest and always enjoy talking. And that's it for another episode of Heritage Explains. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and head on over to the show notes. I've linked to Josh's groundbreaking report and other relevant information. So get clicking and check it out. Now, have you shared our podcast with your friends yet? If not, please do. We promise if you share, we will continue to produce excellent content. Go ahead, hit that share button wherever you listen. And thank you once again. Michelle is up next week. We'll see you then. Be well. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.